Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Before I introduce our guest for the day, I have a word from our sponsors. You're here because you're looking to grow as a fundraiser. And New Story is today's sponsor because they're looking to hire fundraisers with a growth mindset. This nonprofit organization works to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. You might have heard about them from their work in 3D printing homes or as a fast company, most innovative company, three-time winner. And now they're looking for you. You can find all the details at newstorycharity.org. That's N-E-W-S-T-O-R-Y-C-H-A-R-I-T-Y.org. NewStoryCharity.org. Hi, welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Olson, and I'm joined today by my co-host and partner in crime, Roy Jones. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Welcome, everyone. I'm, I'm really blessed to be here today talking with two great leaders who are focused on serving people in need. We're going to go deep on some leadership principles and thoughts uh, but before I do that, I just want to uh, introduce our two guests. So with me today is Commissioner Kenneth Hodder, who leads the Salvation Army USA, and he's guiding and overseeing the largest social service organization in the U.S. Uh, collectively, the Salvation Army serves 23 million people a year across 7,600 uh, domestic locations here in the States. Last year, uh, Commissioner Hodder launched the Salvation Army's The Way Out Initiative with the goal of doubling the Army's response to homelessness over the next five years. Commissioner Hodder, welcome to the show today. Thanks very much, Andrew. It's a delight to be with you. Thank you. It's an honor to have you here. And I also am really excited to introduce uh, Joey Zumaya. And Joey is a, a, a business and community leader who's got a, a passion to empower underserved communities. He currently leads public sector teams at LinkedIn, focused on uh, using that LinkedIn platform to create economic opportunity for communities throughout North America. He serves on the National Board of the Salvation Army and is involved in a number of different local, regional, and national nonprofit initiatives. Joey, welcome to the show as well. Good to be here as well. I'm super grateful for both of you for, for giving of your time and your insights for this conversation. You know, our podcast touches thousands of nonprofit leaders and fundraisers across the country. And one of the areas that, um, that we're committed to talking more about in the, you know, currently through COVID and into the future is how we can all be better leaders uh, of our organizations. So uh, with that, I, I'd love to jump into a number of questions uh, for you gentlemen and just get some insights you know, I think it, this is the first time we've been able to sit down with a, a nonprofit uh, CEO, executive leader, and a board member at the same time. It's a, a great treat that we don't usually get the opportunity for, so I'm excited to jump in here. The first thing I'd, I'd love to know is, you know, as executive and board level leaders of the Salvation Army, you know, I assume that the two of you are, are committed to a certain set of values. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about those values and how they shape your decision making on, on everything from you know, program development and delivery to how you raise financial support, your marketing. Just talk to us a little bit about those values and how they permeate everything you do. Sure. I think the first thing to say, Andrew, is that the Salvation Army, first and foremost, would want to adhere to scriptural values. The way that we interpret the scriptures and the uh, commands that it, uh, it contains to love one another, to care for one another, to look after one another, really are the motivating force behind everything that the Salvation Army does and says. 
When people look at the Salvation Army shield, however, they might not look at it with those scriptural glasses on. They might not have an experience uh, with Jesus Christ. So we always think that when we talk about the shield, there are certain things that we want them to think of. We want them to think of the Salvation Army as passionate, compassionate, brave, uplifting, and trustworthy. Uh, we want first and foremost people to believe that the Salvation Army is totally committed to the work that it does, that it's going to care for the least, for those who are most vulnerable in our society, that we will stand up for those who are uh, disadvantaged in society, that it will always fill them with hope, and that ultimately when they give to the Salvation Army, they will have complete trust in our stewardship of the support that they've given. Those are the things that really we try to keep in mind on a daily basis. And uh, we thank the Lord for uh, a board that helps us to keep those things in mind. And, and I would add in terms of how the values parlay into decision-making and program delivery, the, the thing in addition to the rest of the mission statement that the Salvation Army has, the emphasis on the words without discrimination. And, and there, there's two uh, really important uh, places where I see that happen. Uh, I, I've sat on a number of local and um, different levels of, of board for the Salvation Army. It, there's no discrimination in terms of who it invites to help be part of the work in the communities that they're in. There's no criteria. There's no discri discrimination of who can be a board member, who can be a contributor, who can be a part of the work. And also, and even more importantly, there's no discrimination on who the Salvation Army will help. Right, so there's no requirements for that. And I think that's uh, becoming increasingly important in, in today's day and age. So the reason why I personally support the Army is because of the emphasis on no discrimination on both of those levels, because I think the headline there is the more the merrier when it comes to helping people. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. So, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated by is, you know, within the nonprofit space, Oftentimes, there, there's kind of an arm's length relationship between a nonprofit executive and members of their board. And I, you know, I, I suspect just from some of the back and forth conversations we had before we, we hit record on this podcast, that that's probably not the case for the two of you. I, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on the importance of having a strong relationship between executive and board and really what the value is in having that depth of a relationship uh, between mm -hmm. the two of you. I certainly wouldn't call it arm's length. Would you, Joey? I would not. <laughs> Joey is so involved, uh, uh, not only nationally, but he's involved locally, he's involved territorially. Uh, Joey knows everything about what the Salvation Army is doing across the country. And, uh, and that is critical, Andrew, as you suggest. Uh, of course, as a denomination, uh, as a church under federal law, the board itself in the Salvation Army uh, has to be composed of members of the clergy, the officers. So we don't have lay members of the governing board, but we, re we recognized early in our history that we would be lost in the fulfillment of our mission if we did not have the continued counsel and support of individuals who know the communities in which we serve. Whenever I send an officer to a community, the instructions are very simple. I don't care what you do, 
but do what the community needs to have done and do it in the name of Christ. So when that officer arrives in that community, he or she has to have a group of individuals there who know the army, who know why it exists, and can say, look, this is what our community needs. Now let's work together to get it done. So though there is no governing role for our advisory organizations, they're absolutely vital to what we do. Thank you. Yeah, and the, the thing that I've come to appreciate in the different capacities that I've had advising the Army is number one, there there is a willingness on, on the Army's part to embrace uh, newer ways of thinking and uh, newer technologies that um, live harmoniously with the mission and the values. So it's not like this power struggle or like, hey, we're not open to new ideas. I argue that the hardest test that an organization will ever stand is the test of time, mm -hmm. right? Because organizations come and go and the Army has found a way to do that. In fact, uh, Commissioner Hodder mentioned a, a great book to me, which is the, the most enduring institutions of all time, which I, I remember three of them were the Bible, the Rolling Stones, and the Salvation Army. <laughs> so really, so, so it's, it stood the, it stood the test of time, and and uh, I think that's because of the willingness to um, not only embrace the communities that and the and the important community members that um, the members of the communities that they're in, but also to bring them alongside in the strategy, bring them alongside in the way that the the, the programs are served. So. It's been a it's a great partnership, and that's that's where I would keep it the the word a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's the only list in which the Salvation Army has ever been included with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely true. You know, I I should also mention, Andrew. There's another dimension to this, and that is, once a board member decides that he or she wants to support the Salvation Army, we are able to say to them as advisory organization members, you have no fiduciary role. Mm. So they can speak perhaps more freely, can, uh, they don't feel any constraints, they don't feel that somehow they're putting themselves on the line, but they can speak honestly and directly about the things that they believe the Salvation Army ought to keep in mind. Do you think that's true, Joey? Do you think board members Keep that in mind. I do. And as someone who sits on both advisory and governing boards, it's a very different dynamic. You know, when you're obligated to be a fiduciary uh, for an organization and to help make uh, financial decisions, there is a certain aspect of a controlled environment, right? You know, depending on your level of influence and your capabilities on that board. My experience on sitting with Salvation Army advisory boards is that um, there is an open invitation, even when you might not be making statements that make France per se, but you're speaking out on behalf of um, the army and more importantly, the people who the army serve. So, so that dynamic of the, being able to speak openly, but more importantly, constructively has been what has made it such a great partnership. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, Commissioner Hodder, I want to go back to something you said when you, when, in the first portion of your response to that last question, you mentioned um, the Salvation Army being a, a denomination. And, and I think, you know, maybe for a lot of our listeners, they don't even realize that the Army is a church. And, and that being the case, 
you're also a global service organization and you, you operate within a, a corporate framework. I'm curious to know um, if, if you ever experience a tension between those things and, and you know, if so, how do you navigate those tensions and challenges uh, between uh, the, the calling of the church and the need to operate in a, a functional corporate environment? That, that is a wonderful, wonderful question. Uh, the mission statement of the Army is very simply to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. So there are two wings, if you will, to the Salvation Army as it takes flight. The spiritual dimension and the physical need that we are committed to in terms of service. Both of those, however, come out of our understanding of the scriptures that we as a church feel that our role is to serve as Christ's hands, that we are called to minister to anyone and everyone, whatever their need happens to be. Now, with that in mind, the foundation of what we believe as a church has allowed us to build upon that a reputation for serving everyone. So the corporate structure exists on that foundation of the church. Uh, of course, uh, we have many thousands of employees across the country, about 60,000 employees now, and they will come from all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, they will be of every ethnic group. They'll be gay and straight. Uh, they will all come together to help the Salvation Army meet human need, but the foundation stays in place. Now there are instances, and it's interesting you should point this out, Andrew, there are instances in which there is a tension when you feel that perhaps the demands of scripture might be pulling against the demands of service. But that doesn't worry the army. We find the, cre the tension a creative one. There are many instances in which the two integrate and come together as one. But when there's a tension, it's held together almost with a piano wire on which you can create beautiful music. It's, the, it's, it's a push and pull. It keeps us constantly on our toes with respect to, is this consistent with what the Salvation Army ought to be? And because it's never static and it's never one or the other, I think we probably are better at achieving the mission itself than we would be if it were just one or the other. I think. It keeps it uh, fresh, it's never stale, it's always new, it's always in new circumstances, and that invigorates the movement. It invigorates our people. Uh, I think it turns out, that tension turns it out to be a great strength. Joey, how, do, you, do you have any different perspective or, or does that resonate with you from a board level? It, it resonates with me on more than just the board level. So I like to think about these things in practical terms. As someone who's been on the receiving end of the Salvation Army on multiple levels, I, I could um, agree that this is true. So when I was a teenager, I lived in a Salvation Army homeless shelter. Wow. My family okay. was going through some rough times and we were able to find a place to stay where my mom you know, was making some decisions on how to move forward as a family. And so while there, there was a, an environment of people being cared for, people being housed, people being fed. 
but there was an open invitation, not a coercion, but an open invitation that should someone also choose to reconnect with spirituality, attend Bible study, that opportunity was there as well, which I took them up on. <laughs> so in a social service setting, I was on the receiving end of the Salvation Army in terms of program, uh, a program beneficiary. And you fast forward decades later, and now I'm advising the Salvation Army on all, you know, all things uh, strategy and, and personnel and technology. And so, so I've literally seen the Salvation Army at every level, whether I'm program beneficiary, a local board member, a territorial board member, a national board member. And my argument is that although people think it's cheesy in terms of caring for one's whole self, one's physical needs, one's spiritual needs, um, I've seen it in real life. So yes, I do agree. That, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And that's just a beautiful connection. I mean, you know, to, to be able to, to serve the organization and the ministry at the level that you are now um, and, and having that rooted in your own personal experience and, and your own, you know, personal opportunity to come to faith through the army. I mean, that's what an amazing way to, to have an opportunity to give back now. That's pretty yeah. cool. Agreed. Agreed. You know, Andrew, if I could make one other, one other comment here, you use the word church in your question. Uh, I think one reason that the Salvation Army is not perhaps better known as a church is that we ourselves don't use the term often. Okay. Uh, and we don't use the term often, not because we aren't a part of the church, capital C, of course we are, but we use it because the church, small c, will be understood by many people outside of faith uh, to, uh, to symbolize something that is closed, mm -hmm. something that is inaccessible, something that might not be welcoming. And that is precisely the opposite of what we believe the church should be. So even at the level of language, if you can create a sense that you're open, that you're a movement uh, rather than a church, that you're a spiritually directed community, I think you do a lot to help break through barriers that might otherwise exist. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think if we look at scripture and understand that, you know, uh, when Christ was calling people into discipleship, I don't believe he ever said, come join my church. So <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, I want to uh, pivot us a little bit and, and get your perspective on, on another thing that I think is, is a, Maybe a challenge at this point, um, but I'd, I'd like to hear your context on it. You know, with, with so much changing uh, with respect to American Christianity right now uh, and, and the continuing decrease in church attendance that we see, you know, nationally, obviously globally, it's been happening for even longer um, and, and, and even pre-COVID. What's the value proposition today to encourage an emerging leader to become a Salvation Army officer? And, and what kind of challenges have you all faced in building that talent pipeline? And what are you doing to, to solve for that? Quite frankly, there is no value proposition for becoming a Salvation Army officer. Okay. Uh, there, there, there truly isn't. Uh, a Salvation Army officer will earn no salary. Uh, he or she will earn no wages. Uh, you simply receive a small living allowance to defray daily expenses. You're given a place to live and a car to drive. 
uh, and uh, medical coverage. Beyond that, the Salvation Army makes no promises of any kind. We're not guaranteed a penny of compensation. And that is something that I think in a divine way is remarkably attractive to a lot of people. Mm. Certainly it was to me. Uh, I come from a Salvation Army family, but I never intended to be an officer. Uh, after I graduated from law school, I started uh, in corporate real estate law in Los Angeles, was thoroughly enjoying the experience. But uh, a day came on which I simply felt that what I was doing, as remunerative and as intellectually stimulating as it was, uh, wasn't enough. It wasn't uh, the fulfillment. It wasn't the uh, sense of personal satisfaction that I felt that a relationship and a following of Jesus Christ would bring. So I knelt at my desk and uh, the Lord called me to be an officer. And since that day, together with my wife, who felt a similar calling, we've had more excitement. We've had more uh, exhaustion. We've had more <laughs> exhilaration. We've had more frustration and more fulfillment than we could have ever imagined. Uh, God has taken every experience that we ever had and every skill that we had acquired and put it to use in ways we could never have thought possible and in far more exciting ways than we could have ever achieved had we remained in our professions. So when that is explained to people, who believe they'd like to serve as a Salvation Army officer. And we make clear all of these things. Their first reaction is going to be, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I, this, is not, this is not what I wanted. Uh, and I understand that. But I always think of the words of C.T. Studd, who was a British missionary. And he said, when the cause is great enough, there is no sacrifice. <laughs> and that has always been my personal experience. Uh, I have never for a day felt that I have sacrificed a thing. I'm astonished at the end of the week when I get a little check representing my allowance. Not that it isn't uh, exhausting, as I suggested a moment ago, but it nevertheless brings a fulfillment that I think is very special. And simply by making that known to people, uh, Andrew, you'd be surprised how the Lord brings folks to become Salvation Army officers. <laughs> You know, that's, it's such a contradiction from, you know, what we see in, in popular culture and media today, right? The, the, you know, the acceleration of the what's in it for me culture seems to go directly against this. And, and so, you know, it's, it's fascinating to hear you talk about how it's, it's so enticing uh, to people who really feel called. I, I guess, you know, as I think about it, it seems to me that maybe... Uh, one of the things that that the model and the way that the army operates does is it just makes very clear who's in and who's out, right? So you don't have to really wade through a lot of people who might consider, right? You either get the on fire, want to do this, or I'm going to check out because it doesn't meet my expectations. Is that a, a fair assumption? Oh, absolutely. Because that same commitment is tested every time you're moved in the Salvation Army. Talk about that part for just a minute, because I don't know that people understand that either. Oh, absolutely. Once you commit yourself as a Salvation Army officer and you're commissioned, 
at the ceremony at which you receive your ordination and commissioning. Uh, you walk across the platform from one side to the other to receive your first appointment. Until that moment, you do not know where in the, sal where in the world the Salvation Army is going to send you. Mm. Uh, and then they will say to you, congratulations, Lieutenant, you're on your way to X. Wow. And that pattern will be repeated whenever the Salvation Army believes that its ministry and its work can be advanced by moving you to another place. So my wife and I, over the course of our 32 years, have lived in a variety of places across the country. We did two tours of four years each in Kenya. Uh, we have been in London for, four, for three years. We never would have imagined living in those places and doing those things. But the richness uh, of having turned over your life to God in the ranks of the army uh, is just remarkable. It's like, um, it's like Abraham putting Isaac on the altar. When you become an army officer, for the rest of your life, you're putting yourself on the altar every day. And every day, as God gave Isaac back to Abraham, God gives you back the opportunity to serve him that day. And so you're all the more conscious of how precious it is, how wonderful it is, how special it is. And then the next day you do it all over again. <laughs> and uh, it gives a wonderful perspective on life. I bet it does, yeah. Joey, I'm curious to get your thoughts as, as an advisory board member. How, how do you and your colleagues, how, how do you come alongside and serve those who are serving in an officer role in a way that's meaningful as they go through those transitions? Like that, that's, that's a lot of uh, upheaval on a family over time. And how, how do you see your role and, and your colleagues' role in, in sort of continuing and bringing continuity to those relationships? The, the thing I appreciate most about the model, for lack of a better term, one's very obvious. The, the effectiveness metric of the Army is how many cents of a dollar actually makes it to a beneficiary, right? After you pay for administrative, you know, technology, infrastructure, et cetera. And the Army's always been among the highest, if not the highest. That's important as a board member in terms of, of who you're serving and who you're partnering with. And because you don't have executives that are making these ridiculous sums, sums of money, it, it allows that effective, effectiveness metric to remain intact. Also maps strongly back to the, um, the, the mission statement and the values. But I don't want to seem Pollyannish by making this statement because no one group of people is infallible, but the officers that I've met and I've met a lot are among some of the most kind and um, beautiful people that I've ever come across. Mm. And in fact, here in, in one of the cities in Ventura here in, in Southern California, they're doing a, um, a week over week, they're doing a Christmas distribution for 1,100 kids and also serving 300 uh, families a week with food mm. distribution and wow. food mailbox. There's a line of cars around the corner. And this, the couple who are here, the Torres is, I, I, I kind of, you, you asked me how to support them. Some of it's encouragement, right? Some of it's taking them out for coffee. Some of it's, you know, trying to make their job a little bit easier. But I often find myself going to check on how things went and you see the two of them stay behind to pray with people. Mm -hmm. So, so the, this, uh, this model is a great vetting mechanism to your point to not only ask people who, who's in and who's out, 
but really what's your motivation and what's your purpose? And uh, again, another thing that stood the test of time. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit for a second, you know, at, at the highest level of the organization and Joey, you and I talked a little bit about this in our first call a month or so ago. I am curious to know how the two of you and, and the army at scale are thinking about and leveraging emerging technology to, to really, you know, disrupt the organization in a, in a positive way. Uh, and, and how does that apply to talent development and training with a globally distributed workforce? How does it apply to program delivery and, and even things like your marketing and fundraising? What, what role does technology play and, and what are you guys thinking about for the future of that? I guess the first thing to mention is, is that the Salvation Army has always sought to make use of emerging technologies. The Army played a key role in the popularization of uh, film uh, at the turn of the 19th century. The Salvation Army was among the first to use film uh, in a commercial sense. The Army also made use of automobiles uh, early on for evangelistic tours in England. Oh, okay. So historically, we have this, this, this bent toward doing what's new and different. And I think that comes from our founders, uh, William and Catherine Booth. Catherine Booth said on one occasion that you cannot make a better future without disrupting the present, hmm. which is very true. So there always needs to be a little element of disruption in what the Army is doing. Now, that becomes more difficult over time as you age as an institution. Uh, it's one reason that we now have an innovation committee on our national advisory board, right? because we want to keep that, that constant sense of the need to, to, in, to, uh, to approach innovation. Of course, now, as you suggest, Andrew, it's all technological. The kettles are a great example. The Christmas kettles are out this Christmas, but if you don't want to touch the kettle because of COVID-19, you don't have to. You can use Google Pay and Apple Pay. You can bump the sign. You can scan the QR code and a donation sign will, and a donation page will come up on your phone. Wow. You can say, Alexa, make a donation to the Salvation Army and it will do it. While we're at it here, what's the best URL if people want to give while they're listening? Rescuechristmas.org. Awesome. They can put in their zip code there and they'll find out everything that the Army is doing. We're in every zip code across the country. They can make a gift and we're very grateful. But technology is gonna have to be a key part. I think one thing that I really appreciate working with Joey on is his relationship with LinkedIn. He has taught us so much about connections and about uh, the ongoing training of our officers. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to keep our officers up to speed on what's happening so that they can be most effective. Uh, and uh, another reason to have good advisory board members. Uh, they tell us what the latest thing is because otherwise we're focused on that person right in front of us and we don't look up long enough sure. to realize there's something new. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, we're yeah, working in the Silicon Valley environment, particularly with LinkedIn, like. Share some thoughts with us on, from your perspective on you know, where the future of technology can take the Salvation Army. I, well, there's, there's two things to, to call out. 
two things of note that we're what, in terms of what we're up to and, and working with the army on what one of them is on the talent side people side and the other one's on the technology side so as commissioner hotter mentioned right now we're in the initial phases of helping the salvation army figure out how to keep its officers and its personnel current um, through online learning and and we're uh we're in the infancy stage of a project that's going to allow the army to do content production and develop its own courses similar to, awesome. to the ones that are on LinkedIn learning. Okay. Um, because we all know COVID has bought a, a virtual reality that's not going um, anywhere anytime soon and that will probably change certain things forever. So we're, we're, we're looking at different technologies and different ways of delivering people, especially because people are moving and they need to be met where they're at. The second one is really around uh, diversity initiatives. Salvation Army has always been a very diverse organization, diverse on its board, diverse in its uh, officers, diverse in its personnel. But um, I really admire the way that they invite us advisory board members and, and external people into the thinking of that. And right, there's things that we're doing really well. There's things that we need to reiterate upon. There's maybe some new initiatives. So the, again, as a, an example of partnership, there is, um, a diverse set of stakeholders at different levels of the army that are providing recommendations to the leadership with participation from the advisory board. Um, and so we're pretty excited about those things as well. That's awesome. Okay. So let, let's talk a little bit about the Salvation Army's brand for a minute. I have experienced the brand as a consumer from the outside um, and also as a fundraiser, right? So I, I spent some time working with the Eastern Territory a number of years ago on their direct response uh, consolidation project uh, about five years ago. So I've, I've seen it from a couple of different angles. And, and you'd, look, you'd look great in uniform, Andrew. Just <laughs> Thank you. I think I need to lose a few pounds before a uniform. But <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, what, one of the things I'm curious about is, uh, you know, across the country, um, you know, I, I've experienced the, the brand at the national level through the, the national advertising uh, uh, platform and efforts that you have, but also at the local level, um, you know, whether that be at the territory or division or, or core. And, and sometimes uh, what I've seen is in, in some communities, there's a very, um, a very faith forward messaging in the, the marketing communications. And in others, um, it's a little bit less so. So I'm curious, that, that got me thinking, you know, that I'm curious to know how you guys as you know, senior most leaders uh, employed and, and as volunteers manage that brand at the, at the very highest level and, and ensure that there's continuity around the message and the core values, but also allow that flexibility so that Commissioner Hodder, as you said early on in our conversation, that officer in that community can be responsive to that community. Like, how does that work? And, um, and how do you manage something so large and complex? A lot of the values that people are looking for in an organization uh, spring from scripture. You know, our brand is doing the most good. And that isn't uh, intended to suggest that the Salvation Army is better than anyone else. It's intended to suggest that we're going to do the most good 
for the most people in the most need that we possibly can. And doing good, though it might be understood in secular terms as a nice thing to do, has its roots, of course, in the scriptural notion uh, that uh, you should uh, uh, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So doing good, therefore, spans a spectrum from an individual who will stand on the street corner and proclaim that scripture verse to an individual who is driving a canteen that's just doing the most good on the side. So you, you see this range, but all of it uh, has to be traced back to that fundamental foundation of scripture that I mentioned earlier. If we ever sense that a local unit has strayed from that, then we have opportunities to say to them, look, you need to, to reconsider, you need to re-examine where you are. But you know, we don't have to do that too often, Andrew. I've had to do that very rarely in my experience because organizations like the advisory board uh, call the officer to account. They will say, look, this, this isn't Salvation Army. Joey said a moment ago that the board is the continuity. If we're moving from place to place, who's in that community over a length of time to say this is what this community needs? The advisory board. And so if somebody comes in and they stray from what that mission statement says they, that the Army should do, the board uh, calls us back to it. Yeah, and uh, there are certain things uh, in terms of messaging and, and cons that are foundational to every Salvation Army, the mission statement, the values. But I, I see at the local level how the Salvation Army is projected into that community as a partnership with the, the, the officers in the advisory board. It, it should, should that army have an advisory board? Because so, some armies are, are in formation, right? Others are, are have kind of a, a less sophisticated body of people um, advising them. It, on the advisory boards that I've sat on, there is a specific group of people that is thinking about how the army's perceived and more importantly, the level of awareness on the programs that are being delivered and what type of resources are needed for the Army. Because one of the arguments that I've always made is the great thing about the Salvation Army in terms of helping it is it's not a braggadocious, braggadocious organization, but uh, uh, the bad thing is it's not a braggadocious organization, right? So you, you kind of have to toot their horn for them. But, but that local... Um, marketing campaign awareness effort is typically a partnership between the people who are that continuity on the advisory board in those communities and really what needs are there and what needs to be met and then the direction of ultimately the direction of the officer. So I have one more question for you gentlemen uh, and, and then uh, I will let you go for the day but I, I, I want to talk about going back to something else Joy that you mentioned uh, in an earlier response the, the diversity topic, right? So just in the last year, I mean, I, I feel like that the issue of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion has become significantly more forefront than it has been in the past, you know, and I, I lived until last month in, in Minneapolis. And so, you know, <clears throat> after the, the killing of George Floyd, it was front and center in our community and, and then, you know, sparked conversations all, all across the globe, really. I'd love to hear your perspective on two things. First, I'm really curious to understand the Army's approach to diversity in talent recruitment, right? Um, because, you know, 
it's one thing for us all to say we're committed to diversity. It's another thing for us, to your earlier points, to look like the community that we serve, right? And, and then the second thing I would love to, to get your perspective on, as we think about, you know, development and fundraising, because a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are fundraisers, you know, one of the questions that, I, that I've uh, been grappling with recently is, how do we create diversity in our donor base? Particularly if the way that we've been successful is to go out and find donors that look like something, right? And, and typically they look like older, Caucasian, more affluent donors. How do we start to evolve our messaging and our outreach strategies to not just bring in more diverse talent, but to bring in more diverse supporters so that you know, really at every angle, the Army looks and, and, and feels and breathes like the communities that it operates in. And, and obviously not unique just to the Salvation Army. I think it's a, something that we're all going to have to wrestle with, but I'd love your perspective on it. Joey, why don't I let you go first on this one? So I'll take the Salvation Army's name off of it for a moment, okay. just, just to go back to a framework that I think is... Uh, reflective of what is the right approach here for any organization, let, let alone the Salvation Army, in terms of what I've seen work. Because my, my approach here is not trying to figure out everything that's wrong and talking about it all day, is, is what, what's going right and how do we do most of that, more mm -hmm. of that, right? Yep. So, so the, fir the first step for an organization is for the leadership to make this a priority or to keep this a priority. Be, being diverse and being reflective of the communities that we serve, or in LinkedIn's case, being reflective of the platform and, of, of, you know, of the people on your platform, it has to be a priority. Because if it's not, can't even really get the, the, the party started. The, the, the next phase is to um, give those key stakeholders a voice. Make sure that you're listening. As leaders, you're, not making, you're making less statements and you're listening about what is the collective voice of your leadership, the collective voice of your personnel, the re re collective voice of your beneficiaries. And lastly, it's to take um, steps that are actionable because th this is a battle that's won on many fronts and not overnight, believe me, right? The, the organization with endless budgets here um, are, are, are still getting small wins. What, what's fascinating is the number one and fastest growing job on LinkedIn right now is diversity officer. Wow. Okay. To show you how much of a uh, of a priority. So in the army's case, this has been, and um, and leadership has kept this a priority, because uh, the the emphasis on non discrimination, especially in the times that it count, has not changed from day to day, person to person. The recent development that is incredibly exciting that I get to have a lot of fun working with is Commissioner Hodder and the leadership of the Salvation Army has democratized some recommendations, the setting of recommendations from the diverse community of, of uh, officers and personnel mm. to, to, on terms of what the, the leadership could, should consider. And that's a big deal for that's huge. some organizations that will not relinquish that control. Right. And then ultimately, out of all of the things that could be done, right, ideas on things to implement, changes in pr process and procedure, what, what are the, the small list of actionable and most impactful things that the leadership can support, invest in, and execute? Mm -hmm. And um, it's really important to be able to say that the organizations that you support and advise have um, implemented this. Because if not, you, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it, you're not really to justify your time and your presence. So fortunately, 
for me as an advisory board member, um, that that's been my experience. Those are some of the things that we're up to, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, I love that. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, now you can see, Andrew, why we put him on the diversity, equity, and inclusion commission of our uh, <laughs> advisory board. Uh, jo Joey's experience in this is, is, is deep, and his knowledge is encyclopedic, and we rely upon him to guide us on this. Uh, I think if I could address the donor dimension of this for a moment, um, the kettle, again, stands as a great symbol. Because the Army serves so many people every year, 30 million people last year, and that number will more than double this year because of COVID. Um, when people come to the kettle, it is the most diverse group of people you could ever imagine. Uh, people from every background, every ethnicity, uh, gay and straight, all sorts of people who either personally or through family or friends have a Salvation Army story. So while there are certain channels in our fundraising mechanisms, mail appeal, there's digital fundraising, there's the kettle, there's major gifts, all of the things with which many of your listeners will be familiar. We begin with this notion of a personal contact with people who've had experience with the Salvation Army. That focus helps us to ensure diversity. If our service is being provided equally and fairly and without discrimination, as our mission statement calls us to do, then the people who are going to support us and the people who see what we do and in turn support us are gonna be just as diverse as the people we serve. So rather than trying to articulate strategies for donors, we don't know what the ethnicities of our male appeal donors are, we never ask. Um, uh, while we might develop uh, Spanish language uh, resources that could be placed on local Spanish language stations, certainly that's helpful. Our focus in terms of diversity stays on the service side mm. because that's the long game. That's the long game. You serve people in service freely, then either in their generation or their children's generation or in generations to come, they have a story. And they'll say, uh, I remember when my family didn't have something, the Salvation Army was there. Um, so it's not, it's not a constructed diversity strategy. The, the things that, uh, that Joey is mentioning are absolutely right, particularly with respect to our officers. Of course, God brings officers from all walks of life, but we definitely need to make progress in terms of helping those officers feel at home so that they can rise to the senior leadership levels of the Salvation Army, and we need help to do that. But in terms of donors, I think the best strategy we can follow is to serve everyone because ultimately that comes back to you uh, in a diverse group of donors. I think that's a beautiful perspective and and you might be the first leader of a nonprofit organization who's ever said to me that they think about this in a generational mindset. You know, it, it, I'm shocked when I don't hear people saying the next 90 days we have to do X, right? And yeah, I'm sure you have that conversation as well. Oh, sure. But but I think there's there's a real um, strength 
in in thinking about things in terms of generational impact and it it just speaks so highly to the fact that you know the organization and the leaders are are really focused on um you know that continuity of service over time because we know as much as we work at it poverty's not going away right, right. We, we can chip away at it but we're never going to get rid of it and so i i really appreciate the 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 fact that you're thinking about this not as how can you know if we serve today we'll reap the benefit next month or next year even but really how does that person's child or grandchild uh experience the army and, and come back to us in in a way that's meaningful well that's true and it also becomes less of a financial issue obviously there are enormous investments that you have to make on a financial perspective but if your emphasis is on the service the shift in expenditure is somewhat different uh, and and it's not so much a matter of how much you're spending as how much care and love and hope are you offering to someone who's in need. Uh, those are investments too, uh, and they will uh, be multiplied many times over uh, in the years and in the generations to come. So we think that's what leads to an enduring institution. Uh, not exactly like the Rolling Stones, but the same sort of <laughs> Uh, that you see over time. I, I think it's so true. And, I, you know, your your point about everyone having a Salvation Army story, I think is also a beautiful point. Obviously, Joey shared his with us. Uh, and I don't want to end this conversation without sharing mine. Uh, my mother would like to thank you. So my, my mom grew up in the projects on the south side of Chicago. And she tells the story that uh, she was only ever able to go to summer camp as a child. You know, they were dirt poor. Her, she was a single mom, uh, five kids, only ever able to go to summer camp and experience joy uh, during the school year because of camps that were run by the Salvation Army in the Chicago area. Um, and and, and uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas were only possible because of the Army. So uh, from my mom to you and the entire Army, I, I want to thank you as well. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Uh, uh, are, are you going to be with your mom this uh, this holiday season? I, I don't believe so because of, of the COVID situation, right. but uh, but definitely uh, we'll be connecting with her online. Yeah. Well, it was, it was certainly our pleasure. My greatest prayer is that uh, with Joey's help and with the officers that we have, that we'll be as faithful today uh, in serving others as the officers were who served your mom. Amen. Thank you both for being here. Really grateful for your insights and your sharing. Uh, one more time for us, if you will, how do people reach the Army if they're interested in connecting? We invite everyone to go to rescuechristmas.org and help us to make Christmas brighter for millions of people across the country this year. Awesome. Thank you both. Thanks so much, Andrew. God bless you. Bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.